The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat, Jr. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello, and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Slott, Jr. I'd like to welcome you to you all to today's show, Solutions for Electronic Component Counterfeit Avoidance. What works? What does not work? We provide additional information through a number of, uh, of our colleagues and websites. Uh, we, you'll see in our advertisement that we participate in the Hazardous Substance Free Mark Alliance which you will find at www.hsf.us. We also participate directly in the Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, an international program. That can be found at www.counterfeitavoidance.org. All of this is managed under the corporation of the ECC, which is the Electronic Component Certification Corporation, and that's found at www.eccorp.org. We wouldn't be here today if it weren't for sponsors, and our sponsors today are the Business and Quality Process Management Consulting Training and Tools Company. You can find them at www.bqpm.com. And... Our good friends at Secure Components. Secure Components provides qualified, authenticated electronic and mechanical parts in the area of obsolescence and hard-to-find materials. You can find them at www.securecomponents.com. Today, uh, we're going to be talking with Dale Lillard. And Dale is uh, actually the CEO of uh, Lansdale Semiconductor, Inc. And has his website at www.lansdale.com. Our show today is divided into three segments. In the first segment, my guest Dale, CEO, Lansdale Semiconductor, Inc., and I will discuss the reasons that counterfeit electronic components have become such a pandemic. If you're listening to this show and interested at all in understanding what's going on in industry, this will intrigue you. In segment two, we'll discuss, uh, we'll review, if you will, the methods taken by forward-thinking business entrepreneurs to develop business 
that provide aftermarket manufacturing of obsolete electronic components. And the same is similar for non-electronics, but how this supports life-critical products that we use every day. And in the third and final segment, we'll discuss some of the methods being put in place and required, actually, by government agencies to identify authentic electronic components from suspect or counterfeit electronic components. How these methods may, may or may not work and the cost associated with them. So let's talk a little bit about Dale. Dale graduated from the University of New Mexico with a BSEE in 1972. He's a young guy just like me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's chuckling in the background. He joined Motorola Semiconductor in the Phoenix, Arizona, where he worked as a product in, a product manager uh, on what used to be called transistors. I think they're still called transistors, aren't they, Dale? They are. They are. Any, they have different kinds. And there are not a lot of them out. Well, they're not thought about the way they used to be, I know. I'm not going to read on the five or ten more pages of Dale's uh, biography. I'll let him talk to that as we go through. So without further ado, Dale, let's, let's start by discussing the reasons that counterfeit electronics components have, have become such a pandemic. Any, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I do. Um, I've been selling parts since 1980, personally, in the um, older electronics uh, segment. And uh, what I noticed in, is that once the Internet became popular in the mid-'90s, uh, many manufacturers that had bought excess inventory and, um, and didn't know what to do with it uh, started listing it either through brokers, uh, distributors, or on their own on the Internet. And um, what happened uh, then is that um, companies, the big, particularly in the military side, uh, all of a sudden had a, had a supply of product that uh, they didn't have before. And in many cases, this was a legitimate product. It was excess inventory from companies like Raytheon or Honeywell. It had paperwork, it had uh, history, and uh, the buyer could actually use the product successfully. Um, and what happened over time is that these excess inventory barrels started to run thin. Uh, the Internet became very popular, and, and in my opinion, the, the um, people started to see that there were definitely a, a void of product that could be filled uh, in not such legitimate ways, and that's really what, what uh, in my mind, has, has picked up the, the counterfeit side of it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit interesting. I can remember uh, doing design work back in the late 1970s, and I don't believe it was your company, but at that time there was a component that we needed. We were doing telecommunications design work, and there was a component that we needed that we couldn't find anywhere. It was a brand-new unit. I mean, it was a brand-new TTL electronic IC, and we couldn't find them, so... Long and short of it was we found somebody that was putting materials together, a contractor, I guess. Uh, they would be called an electronic manufacturing contractor. We went to them and asked them if they would depopulate 
products, straighten the leads out in those days, and retin them so we could use them as if they were new parts. Uh, so this, this, in essence, this is not a new process. No, absolutely not. And, uh, and it expanded dramatically, uh, again, as far as I can tell, after Europe started the um, recycle, reclaim of electronic products with EC92. The intent originally was to reclaim the metals that were in electronic products and keep them out of landfills. But um, all of the reclaim was done, or I'm not so sure about all of it, but a majority of it was shipped to Asia. And um, they quickly realized, the companies there quickly realized that not only could they reclaim the metal, but if they were careful and did just what you said and pulled the electronic components out, they could straighten the leads blacken the top, remark them, and sell them uh, uh, themselves for a much better profit. That that actually that is is something actually I was uh, involved in back in the would be the uh, early early to midnight uh, two thousand uh, two thousand three to two thousand six time frame, which is after the EU ninety two program for quality management, but. They strengthened that, as I recall, with something referred to as the WEEE, or the Waste Electrical Electronic Equipment uh, Recycling Program. Uh, And at that time, the intent was, as you just said, the intent was to recycle or not to fill landfill. The, The premise was that we didn't want to continue to put things in landfill, and this was driven by the European Union. Now, one of the concerns I've always had with that program is that they addressed not filling landfill. They addressed reuse, uh, recycle, reuse, reclaim. But they did not go any farther and did not explain what to do, how to do it, when to do it, when not to do it. So it left the world becoming populated with literally metric tons of used electronic uh, and non-electronic materials, things that don't biodegrade easily in the ground. And I'm sure you have seen some of the the videos that have been on the Internet and you can find on YouTube that show just mountains and mountains of, of electronic equipment in various places around the world. Yeah, <clears throat> it's remarkable. And the... Um the reclaimed facilities that they have are not exactly clean. <laughs> and so uh, not only are you buying a, a used part, which, um, you know, I have, I do old cars. I've bought used parts from junkyards before. But um, when you consider how they've been handled, uh, the risk for failure is pretty high. So in general, what, we, what we're saying is that we've got... Uh, a large supply of, in a minimum, we have a large supply of secondhand material. We have that secondhand material stockpiling in what would be considered a junkyard in the vernacular of, of what do you do with old stuff like we do here in the States with cars. 
And as you pointed out, then we've got this thing called Internet that allows me to sell it to anybody with nobody knowing who I am. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, if, if you took one of the parts that I manufacture from tooling, like from uh, Freescale or Motorola or Intel, and put my part number in, and so I'm the only legitimate manufacturer of a device, it is very difficult uh, for me to get through, sift through, when Google looks at it, all they see is a huge number of distributors and brokers, many of them from China, that have that same component number and swear up and down that it'll work. Yes. I've actually visited uh, a couple of places. One of them is China. Uh, I've traveled extensively around the world, and I've seen some of these. I've actually watched folks who disassemble uh, what could actually be considered new product. Some of the product was never actually sold to anybody. It was manufactured. um, The company that had it manufactured no longer in business for one reason or another, or they over-manufactured and had excess inventory. This stuff winds up in in a facility where it gets disassembled. Sometimes it's inside of a facility, and as we've seen in some of the reports, sometimes it's alongside a riverbank. And the components are disassembled, taken off, repackaged, and then presented to buyers um, as if they're brand new parts. Yeah, and uh, basically the definition that industry has taken for counterfeits is is to uh, misrepresent a device. So a part like that uh, clearly is being sold as new and unused, and um, and when it is not, then it's what we would consider counterfeit. All right. I do know from a manufacturing standpoint in particular with today's components being so small, uh, it's seldom that you'll find a manufacturing facility that actually takes parts off of a board and then reuses them on another board, uh, even in a very, even if they're brand new, in part because it's just too difficult, it's too expensive and time-consuming to manually pick up these things that are sometimes no bigger than a uh, Q-tip cotton swap. No, absolutely. And uh, all manufacturing processes nowadays are statistical process control. And uh, the last thing in the world that a QA guy would let you do is that kind of process where you would change out a part. You mentioned earlier, and, and I'm always intrigued by this because I find it, it fascinating. Uh, you mentioned that you're a car buff. Uh, I'm not sure if it was earlier in a prior conversation we had, but you're in into antique cars. Absolutely, I collect them. You collect them. I one of these days I got to get down to Phoenix and talk to the, at least go through your garage and look at them. I'll give you uh, some rides. Oh, fantastic! But I was uh, as a kid. I I worked. Um, in a car parts distributor warehouse, so I sold car parts. And uh-huh. uh, in the in products that were made by what we called at that time aftermarket manufacturers. And um, the um, uh, we sold products like Purolator that, that worked instead of Ford's uh, 
air filters, et cetera. So I learned that side, the aftermarket side of, of the automotive industry. Right. Well, it strikes me, and this is one of my experiences overseas. We, I was in a facility. It was a contract manufacturer, so they were a legitimate company building products. They had excess inventory, and in my role around the world in, in a consulting business management role, I approached them and said, what do you do with your excess, and is it something that I could potentially hook you up with a distributor that could buy that and resell it because there are some companies that might need it? And they were ecstatic about the opportunity to do that. What... what? <laughs> what what struck me as extremely interesting was when the, when they said yes we'd be happy to do that and oh by the way we'd be happy to remark them with any new dates you want on them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, to be a good salesman. <laughs> yes, well, you know, I, I kind of thought back, and it didn't strike me at the time I was talking to them, but it certainly did when I got more involved with counterfeiting. When you and I look at a used car or an antique car, the one thing that we do look at is how how nice is the uh, carbon maintained. If if the seats, and sometimes these things have to be re, refer, refurbished, get that word out there, have to be refurbished, and we look for how well that was done. So I guess one could argue, why wouldn't we just want nice new-looking parts, even though you know they've never been used? Um, if I need a fender and it's never been on a car, but I obviously need to paint it to match mine. So I'm being a bit facetious, but uh, you know, why doesn't that work in uh, electronic components? Well, the, the big issue is the history and how the product has been handled. Electronic components are damaged by uh, electronic static uh, discharge, and uh, it's very easy to destroy a part and not know it. So right. that's one of the areas that you got to be very careful about. It it is that, and I I bring this back to those of us that are in this business, failing to be as clear and concise about what the needs are as we look at counterfeit. And as you pointed out with the description or the definition of counterfeit, it's anything misrepresented. And there's a whole world out there that thinks that if if you're going to buy something, you want it to look nice, be nice, feel nice. So making it look, feel, or be better than what it is when it when you're looking at it seems to be the right thing to do. Uh, I kind of blame us for not having better communication to our supply channel. Um. We are up for a break here. Uh, we need to identify the uh, radio station and let folks know who we are, and give them a chance to uh, participate in some of the sponsor ads that we have. So, Dale, if you'll stay with me, I'm going to uh, step out here, let the uh, station do some radio identification, and we'll be back in just a minute.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Secure Components is your international certified supplier of obsolete and hard-to-find products. Specializing in counterfeit mitigation, Secure Components is a qualified supplier for the Department of Defense, Aerospace, Military, and Avionics Industries. If you're a business in need of hard-to-find or obsolete components, please contact us by visiting our website, securecomponents.com, or call us at 484-222-5195. Again, 484-222-5195. 5195. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at eccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Dan Salat. I'd like to uh, welcome you all to today's show, Solutions for Electronic Component Counterfeit Avoidance, What Works and What Does Not. My guest, Dale Land, uh, Lillard from Lansdale Semiconductor Incorporated. Dale is the CEO at Lansdale. We've been talking about counterfeit components, uh, What what's actually caused the, uh, as I call it, the pandemic of counterfeit components, uh, particularly electronics, but it's much broader than that. Those of you that have been watching the uh, TV and C- uh, CBS and 60 Minutes and that, you'll have probably seen some of the work they've done to identify the various places where components are re- reclaimed, if you will, recycled. Um, getting back, Dale, you're still there, right? I am. And I want to welcome you back. I forgot to welcome you to the show the first time, so I'll welcome you back to the show this time. Thank you. Um, so we've talked a bit about the, the pandemic and, and what we think has actually caused it, what is, what is precipitated, if you will, 
We've talked a bit about the European Union and the U.S. moving into the positive part of recycling, reclaiming, uh, and in fact reusing products and materials that we've had in the system for a while. Obviously, the difficulty with this is when you get a used part or a poorly managed or handled part and you put it into a life-critical situation, an, an airplane, a missile, a medical device, uh, for that matter, an automobile, a, a railway uh, locomotion, locomotive or a switching, gear switching. I mean, any of these things with a suspect part or a part that is potentially not re- as reliable as we'd like it to be, uh, we have the potential for some pretty serious problems. The um, a, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, uh, uh, the the problem in in some cases too is that the devices uh, are not fully tested against all temperature ranges, even if they function uh, on the ground at twenty five degrees C, so to speak, but not potentially not at at uh, high stress conditions like in jet airplanes and things. Yeah, that's that's an excellent. An excellent point. Uh, as a component engineer for many years, I uh, spent a lot of time making sure that the, particularly the military equipment that we worked with, uh, you had high reliability components and they were not as they often are today, commercially off the shelf type parts. The same thing that's in your computer or your wristwatch being used in, uh, in a jet or a, uh, a missile. And, if it's not coming directly from a trusted source or an auth- being able to authenticate it properly, you do run the risk of getting a part with the right number and the wrong, uh, actually the wrong specification, I guess you'd say. Correct. So, looking at all this, somebody somewhere along the line had to figure out that there was a business model here that made sense. And I I understand from some very good friends and direct conversation with you that you're one of those people that saw the business, the future of the business, and this was some time ago. So with that said, it's easy to understand aftermarket automotive. We were talking about that a bit ago and, you know, manufacturing parts, and sometimes they're actually better than the original parts. How does how does this knowledge, and, and particularly since you've done it, how would you say that this drives the development of a business into aftermarket manufacturing uh, of obsolete electronics? Well, the the um, I guess the critical word you used, uh, Stan, was obsolete. Uh, at least in my business model. Um, as I mentioned, I'd been in the automotive industry as when I was in college, learned the aftermarket uh, supply channel system. And when I came to work for Lansdale, recognized that um, uh, that the military particularly had a, had a problem with products that were obsolete. And um, at that time, it was 1980. And... The uh, industry as a whole was moving very rapidly from DTL, RTL, to TTL, LS, uh, CMOS, and most 
design engineers were moving quickly and kind of ignoring the old designs. My um, my knowledge of old cars, I knew that uh, when you design an, a weapon system like an F-18 or an F-15 or a Patriot missile, um, it is very complex. It's not going to be done on a commercial cycle of two years or three years, and that somebody was going to need to make these parts uh, on an ongoing basis. And um, so what I started to do was what I would have liked to have done with, for the 65 Mustang, and that was, you know, go to the manufacturer and get the tooling. Um, I blew it on the 65 Mustang, but I <laughs> but I went to Motorola, I went to Philips, um, uh, Intel, and I was able to uh, convince them that I was capable of manufacturing the product using their tooling, their process, their mass sets, uh, test tapes, etc., so that the customer ultimately had the same part that they gave it. And, uh, and I knew, again, because of my involvement with old cars, that um, it wasn't easy to find a replacement part that worked and that if you bought it from Ford Motor Company or General Motors, you could be assured that it would. And so basically, I uh, convinced the, the Motorola's uh, at that time, Signetics, Philips, that if they can uh, turn their products over to me, that I could manufacture them and they could indeed turn their customers over to me and be taken care of. And uh, that was the beginning. My first product line was in 1983 with Signetics military and in 1992 I got that line Motorola's military product line so as the semiconductor industry was moving out of the military uh, out of supporting the military because it was a smaller and smaller market um, I really moved in and, and picked up those products so I have a catalog that looks similar to J.C. Whitney in the automotive world you were you were second guessing the future of automobiles being electronic, I presume, at that time. Yeah, and they're much too complicated for me <laughs> to support at this stage. Your your comments conjure up some experience, and uh, and I'll just share this with the audience. Uh, back in actually in nineteen ninety five ninety six, I was invited to a meeting. Uh, this was under in my role as in the electronic component certification, actually the international community that deals with reliability of electronic components called the IECQ. Uh, I was invited to one of those very large avionics manufacturers or avionics industry people. I won't mention their name. But the purpose of the meeting as a component engineer, it, it was to address the supply chain and specifically to talk about obsolete or various components that were being phased out of production. And I very, very vividly remember Intel, uh, the VP from Intel was there at the meeting, and when asked about what they would be willing to do to support this company long-term, and this, again, is a very major avionics company, uh, the VP simply said, we'd be happy to sell you the fab and all the tool sets to go with it, and you can make as many parts as you'd like. <laughs> yeah, and it's no small task, I can tell you. 
it's no it, it's no small task and now this was actually in 1995 so it was a few years after you had started down this path but it it actually was the handwriting on the wall i guess that major industry uh, such as the intels the texas instruments the uh National and, and Fairchild recognized a, a good while back that they were not going to continue to manufacture high-rel, low-volume materials. No, that's right. And as the technology advanced, it was the wafer processing, the wafer fabs that were totally incompatible. Um, if you looked at Gold Dope TTL, it would kill uh, MOS products. You couldn't do it in the same fabs. Right. So they continued to manufacture product, but they had to do it in lower volumes and separated the fabs. Well, Intel's latest fab I heard was something on the order of $5 billion. <laughs> and yes. uh, they're not going to process wafers that were designed even even uh, 10 years ago in a fab like that. They can't afford to. So uh, that's what moves the technology very rapidly. Now that that kind of brings us back to Moore's law and the the whole you know if it's more than eighteen months old it's obsolete and just you, you can almost go to uh, well you can go to BlackBerry you can go to uh, Apple you you can go to Samsung I mean the handwriting's on the wall there. No, absolutely, and uh, you know the commercial marketplace is what drives technology. Uh, long, if you have a long life system like a military system or a telecommunication system, you have to really manage that life cycle and be careful what parts you're putting in it and, and maintain your supply base. Uh, make sure they're healthy and they're continuing to support you. Now that, that does tend to bring us full circle because that when I look at a Boeing 747 or if I look at even a uh, an Airbus 319 or 320, when you look at a missile, you know, those those have been in play for many, many years, far longer than the technology that's, that's actually in them anymore. Absolutely. I saw a chart yesterday in the Sunday newspaper that said that the uh, B-52 was going to be around until 2040. It was introduced in 1953. Amazing, <laughs> and, and and I guess if, with folks like yourself in a position to actually help support the technology, uh, they may have a chance of success with that one. Yeah, and, and uh, many companies have been supporting it. Of course, they changed a lot of the boxes too. They. Uh, they upgrade systems as they can, but it's still much slower than commercial technology. The other interesting thing that's happening that's um, really uh, important to understand is that now many, many of the uh, weapon systems, military systems, long-life systems use commercial product, not militarized product. And we already talked about life cycles. The life cycle of commercial product is much shorter than than the ones that were being manufactured specifically for military markets. So it's even getting worse uh, uh, than it was. <laughs> yeah, the, the Perry Act of 19, I believe it was 1997. Three. Uh, 1990, 1993. Right. Huh. Yeah, so it's even older than I thought it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's where we started down the path of if it exists in the commercial world and will work, use it. Right. And uh, they, uh, at that time, we anticipated that it would become a major issue, and it really is. <laughs> well, on the upside of that, it helps support entrepreneurs like you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the downside, it brings about a number of entrepreneurs which are not in the same place and create uh, opportunities. Yeah, and that's the area that we got to be the care- most careful about. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is a, a real problem. I do know, as you know well, as know as well that. Military is reporting something like a million uh, components in their supply chain uh, at various times, up to a million components that are considered counterfeit. Um, by definition, I would assume that means they could be just used parts or parts that aren't fully authenticated. Yeah, in the military world, of course, they uh, even if you install a counterfeit part, uh, you still have a pretty good chance of catching it before it's put into a, the end weapon system. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it, it causes a lot of problems. If your warehouse is full of parts that aren't really usable, um, you need time to replace them. <laughs> right. And that's, that's, um, that's sometimes not a short cycle, particularly, I guess, when we're looking for... Um, what would be hard to find or obsolete components. That is many times the reason that uh, companies go to the Internet is because they can't get them from people like me fast enough, and so they they try to locate it that way. Just out of curiosity, if, if you don't have a part in stock, and um, trying not to, to get too far into this discussion, but uh, what, what would be a lead time for a part that you would physically have to go actually reproduce, manufacture? My lead times are similar to the regular manufacturers. On uh, If I have dye, which I usually do, assembly and test 13 weeks on a military part, eight on a commercial. If I have to fab it, it can be six months. You know, so if I don't have the dye. Planning becomes extremely important. Absolutely. Okay, well... We're uh, we're at a point where we need to take a break to identify the station and to uh, give contribution to our, our sponsors. So I'm going to step us out on a break here. When we come back, we'll pick up where we left off and talk about the ways that various organizations, particularly our, our government organizations and avionics aerospace, uh, are trying to identify, uh, get manufacturers involved in producing uh, some sort of marking, if you will, or some sort of traceability. So, Dale, if you'll come back with me, we'll be back in a few minutes and uh, pick up where we're leaving off here.
Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products. Yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. Secure Components is your international certified supplier of obsolete and hard-to-find products. Specializing in counterfeit mitigation, Secure Components is a qualified supplier for the Department of Defense, Aerospace, Military, and Avionics Industries. If you're a business in need of hard-to-find or obsolete components, please contact us by visiting our website, securecomponents.com, or call us at 484-222-5195. Again, 484-222-5195. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at ecccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at ecccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat, and today we're talking with Dale um, Lillard from Lansdale Semiconductor Incorporated. Our subject is Solutions for Electronic Component Counterfeit Avoidance, What Works and What Does Not Work. And I think at this point, as I bring Dale back into the discussion, we're going to talk a bit about uh, the what works and what doesn't work and why it actually may not work. We've kind of covered uh, how we got where we're at and what's going on and how some entrepreneurs are trying to help address the shortages that result in uh, the ability, if you will, or the opportunity for counterfeiting. So with this in mind, Dale, let's let's take a walk down the authentic uh, tracking, if you will, tracking authentic parts around the globe, uh, something that I suspect is uh, by no means easy. Yeah, the... Um, <clears throat> I guess the the most important thing that um, industry has been telling customers uh, regarding this is that just like uh, if you want an authentic part for your old car, or I'm sorry, for your new car, 
uh, let's say you own a, a Ford Motor Company car, and you want to make sure that the headlight switch really works when you put it in, you'll go to Ford Motor Company to get it or um, a dealer that they have. That's really the, the primary focus that we, industry says, that to ensure you do not have a counterfeit part, you should go, at, if at all possible, to the original manufacturer, uh, his sales channel, uh, a, a authorized aftermarket manufacturer, and his sales channel uh, first at all costs. And uh, if you do that, just like uh, getting the right part for your car, you should be uh, assured that you'll get the right part for your weapon system or your telephone system. Uh, that applies to modern commercial product as much as it does to, to obsolete military product because in the commercial world, uh, these guys are counterfeiting popular parts that have not been obsoleted as well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I personally, uh, I've got a 2002 Cadillac and I have religiously gone back to the, main, to the uh, dealership uh, and the one or two times the dealership is is actually suggested an alternate part or an aftermarket part that has not worked in the car, causing all kinds of problems. So one of the things that I find difficult is when they tell me that they're going to put a part in it, I, how do I know that I'm actually getting that authentic part? Uh, and that's got to be a challenge uh, to which uh, you're facing on a daily basis now. Or at least from your customers wanting to know how you're, I guess to put it in perspective for yourself, it's your customers. How do you how do you show them in fact that uh, your parts are authentic? That's where the um, the ownership uh, channel is so important. Uh, if you bought that part from a uh, Cadillac dealer, then you would probably be comfortable that the part was a Cadillac part. The same thing applies to. Uh, RICs. If you buy it from Avnet, who is an authorized distributor for us, uh, then you would be assured. But uh, it is it is not easy to to determine uh, whether the part is the um, original part unless you do that. So I guess is there a move going uh, going on? You know, when we talk about our pets. We talk about putting RFID in them uh, under their skins so that we can track them. Uh, are we talking about putting some sort of a device inside of a device to trace it now, or what are our options there? Well, in terms of that topic, probably the most um, recent activity has been the DLA's um, program to mark product with a um, an ink has a specific DNA tracer to the manufacturer. And DLA for our listening audience is the you're speaking to the Defense Logistics Agency. Correct, correct. Right. Um, the motivation uh, Congress, of course, got into the act probably when 60 Minutes did their deal on DA. <laughs> but um, the uh, in November of 2011, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act uh, and they uh, set up and said that. Industry had to do whatever they could to prevent counterfeits, and they demanded government contractors to put a program in place. They also basically said to the contractors, if, if a 
counterfeit part gets into our systems, you are responsible to repair it, replace it, fix it, um, and not us anymore. And so that act got everybody moving, uh, not only industry uh, contractors, but also uh, the, the DLA themselves. And they, uh, in, in November of 2012, they mandated that all products purchased by DLA uh, have uh, DNA marking on it, which would identify the manufacturer of the product. So to, to help our audience understand, what we're talking about is a synthetic DNA that has been created by some extremely intelligent people with the appropriate reading information or readers of, of that can be used and you mark the part on the outside or the inside or it's on the outside and it's actually uh, clear um, so the only thing uh, that shows up is uh, that it is there if you look at it under um, a black light it fluoresces ah so surface um, I, would I be correct in assuming then that there's a method of managing all of that? Because if we can counterfeit an electronic component one way or the other, what stops us from counterfeiting uh, DNA? Well, I don't think it's easy to counterfeit the DNA. Um, if, as I understand the technology, it's a vegetable DNA so that each um, uh, DNA is associated with a particular company and... Uh, the company that does this, uh, Applied DNA Sciences, makes sure that um, uh, that there is control over that ink uh, so that no one uh, can take it into a, an environment like a, a counterfeiter. The, um, the only uh, concern might be that the Chinese are trying to develop ink that would fluoresce at the same wavelength, but um, so far I'm not sure whether that's occurred. So with with this approach, does this actually then resolve our authentication problems and allow us uh, to to uh, be able to identify parts and know that they're authentic just by uh, being able to read this this marker? I think uh, if the if the component is marked with the by the manufacturer with the DNA ink, uh, it would. Uh, authenticate the device. It wouldn't necessarily tell you that the part was handled correctly. So as we were talking about pulls in the uh, uh, electronic counterfeiting industry, uh, a part could get into that process uh, and still have DNA ink on it and, uh, and be sold as such as a, as a complete part. Hey, this, this is probably worthy of an entire show of its own because what you're describing to me sounds like I could actually find myself buying a part that has an authentic mark on it from a manufacturer like yourselves, but depending on where it's traveled through its life, it it could have falsified records that show that it went from point A to point B to point C 
and in reality it may have only gone one place, been disassembled and then sold, and it's actually still a used part being sold um, as if it's new. It's the same as me going to the junkyard and buying a used water pump off of a authentic Ford engine. Yeah. So if in fact it's authentic, it's authentic, but it doesn't. Unless you can see the speedometer, you don't know how many miles it's got on it. Correct. And in today's world, with all the electronic uh, odometers, it's it's even harder to do that now. Well, Dale, um, as I said, this is a topic that could go on for a very long time, and we're we're coming up on the uh, the end of our show today. I, I want to very specifically thank you for uh, your time and sharing your your wisdom and expertise with us. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Uh, let me remind our audience before uh, we go any farther that if you're looking for uh, licensed, manufactured, uh, older components, you have but one place to go, and that's uh, visiting Mr. Dale Lillard at Lansdale Semiconductor, Inc. He is your source of gold uh, related to parts that he's managed to get the intellectual property to build for you. Uh, is that a fair statement, Dale? Well, not quite. There are no. other manufacturers. <laughs> Rochester's there. Uh, uh, there are others that are in the business that pick up different manufacturers' components. Okay. They're there. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to plug you for today and then move on. I appreciate that? it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, let me remind everybody that our show does come uh, to you live on Tuesdays. We do that through our sponsorship programs. Uh, we do have to pay the bills. Business and Quality Process Management is uh, one of our uh, founding sponsors, as well as Secure Components. You can find Secure Components at www.securecomponents.com. Business and Quality Process Management. They're in the business of helping companies demonstrate compliance to uh, quality management, counterfeit management, hazardous substance-free management, all the various uh, pedigrees, if you will, that you need. Uh, BQPM helps companies position themselves to be uh, recognized on an international level with certification. Our program is, as the title says, uh, we're really reaching out to people, helping people work together uh, to ensure the best safety possible. We actually didn't speak on the subject of hazardous substance today, but keep in mind that those harsh chemicals, the leads, mercuries, uh, cadmiums and such, uh, a key element of working uh, for safety there, you want to look for and find those hazardous substance-free marks. In the future, we'll be doing uh, more shows on that uh, topic as well. If you have questions, by all means, send us an email. Drop us a note. Uh, you can reach me on uh, the, my Twitter account, which is Stan Salad Jr. I believe they say it's hashtag Stan Salad Jr. And uh, by all means, our websites, uh, counterfeitavoidance.com, or .org, rather. It's hazardous. Uh, yeah, let me start over again. It's counterfeitavoidance.org, or the hazardous substance free is hsf.us. We're continuing to, to discuss and talk about the things that affect our military, 
keeping in mind that it is our children, our grandchildren, our friends, family members who wind up in harm's way and the last thing we want them to be subjected to is counterfeit parts or parts that are not meant for the use to which they've been uh, purchased and installed. Thank you again. This is Stan Salat, your host of People to People Working Together for Your Safety. I wish you a very pleasant week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on Voice America. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat Jr. for next week's edition of People to People, Working for Your Safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 